Welcome, everybody. We're excited to have our guest today. We have uh, Columbia's uh, most famous resident, Kevin I Gray. I wouldn't say that. You're the most famous resident. No, I don't Mr. know about Mayor. that. I tell you, this. I'm excited to have Kevin here because Kevin has been a, um, a creator, a developer, an activist, a historian. Um, he thinks he can cook. Um, I'm a great cook. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. I'm a great cook. My dad cooked in the Navy for 27 years. I, my dad taught me. Um, he, he is what I would call a true Renaissance individual, but he brings such a great perspective. And what I respected about Kevin, as long as I've known him through the politics, he's just always been straight, and it's always been about the community, and it's about what's right. And a lot of people use opportunities for, for just be honest, the wrong reasons. Kevin's always done it with with the community at heart, and um, that's why I think we get along. <laughs> yeah, well, you're yeah, okay. I mean, you're an honest person, and, and um, we've always been able to talk. I, I was mentioning to the young folk, y'all are young, I just turned 65 July the 1st. Uh, I was talking to a group out of um, Vermont and I was talking about the restaurant and, they, and I said, you know, the restaurant's an interesting place because we get the Trumpsters to the hipsters. And they said, well, how do you get along with the Trumpsters? I said, well, first of all, I don't start a conversation with anybody based on our differences. You try to find common ground and what you have in common. And I said, the restaurant's interesting because everybody loves food. And of course, the South and barbecue and comfort food, that's a great way to break the ice with people. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting experiment being over there uh, just to see the people that come through there, how they respond to the history. They know, they know it's on the walls. Um, and the conversations that people have. The idea of the restaurant was to create a community space and, um, and to try to help Columbia develop some sort of different identity in some of the neighborhoods and communities and business districts that we're forming. And um, so far, so good. I mean, it's like that joke I just told you, you know, like the man falling off the 10-story build, building and somebody sticks their head out at the fifth floor and says, how's it going? So far, so good. So haven't <laughs> hit the bottom yet. I'm glad you brought up so many things I can can play off in this conversation, which is is number one. You know, one of the things I learned a long time ago, my grandmother was like, "Your grandfather never ever did a business deal or had a tough conversation with somebody that wasn't over a meal, because food calms people, and mm -hmm. then people start in a different avenue, and then they get to the subject, and their reactions are calm. Food and atmosphere play into all discussions, and I've always remembered that. Secondly, you talked about the barbecue restaurant, which of course it folks, Kevin owns Railroad Barbecue. Um, if you haven't been there with Francie Close, my longtime partner. partner. If, you, if you haven't been there to see what they've developed, you're missing something. Uh, I could spend hours in, in this restaurant uh, not only because you run into people you know, but the history on the walls, what you've amassed and you know, one of the things I, I, I think I told you when you were building it please make Xerox copies of everything and put the Xeroxes on the wall and not the originals. We put the originals on the wall, which is creating a problem. We, and we've had people come in and wanting to buy those tables. And um, I told a couple of people, you know, if you close friends, I said, if you get some memorabilia and you want to have something, an heirloom for your family, I would do something like that for people. I think that's better than um, um, the, the scrapbook that sometimes people pull it out, but usually when you pull it off the shelf, it's dusty. You know, history is a living thing. 
and uh, the connections to the past that, that makes us who we are now. And, you know, I always thought it was odd in Columbia that we didn't have a people's museum or something that, that, that told the story of the people that have been in this community, that have built this community, not just the famous people or the elected people, but the neighborhood people. Anybody, any community can do what we did. I, I kind of call it a community place of remembrance. You can do it in any area. It doesn't have to be the highfalutin museum with the big, with the art pit, the, the, the fancy art on the walls. Or, you know, it, it ought to be about regular people. And there's so many famous, successful people have come out of South Carolina, but they started a lot of them from nothing. I, I, for some reason, Joe Frazier comes to mind because people think about Joe Frazier and Philadelphia. But Joe Frazier was from Beaufort, South Carolina. I had friends that I went to college with, and they would say uh, Joe would come home for the summer and he'd be driving that big white Rolls Royce and all them kids of his people running behind the Rolls Royce barefooted. But that's where he came from. And the greatest fights that Muhammad Ali ever fought was with a South Carolinian. And, and that's... that's I think that kind of thing is important for people to know. I mean, somebody like Eartha Kitt, that, you know, they're the great people, but then they're the people like Adele Adams, you know Adele, yeah. that, that um, helped create the current situation that you, that you um, serve in. If it, wasn't, if it wasn't for her, we would have a, 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 a totally messed up city government. Mm -hmm. And I ran her first campaign when she ran for city council. So, see, all right, see we're, we're stepping back in history, so this gives me the great segue to move Kevin in. So, you're a freshman in college. You go to walk. You leave Columbia, South Carolina. No, I'm from Spartanburg now. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're from, from my neighborhood. I'm from the Sparkle City. My parents moved there in 1967. Um, but you you moved to Columbia. You let your uh, you were uh, excuse me. You're at, you're at Walford. Your freshman year is when you started to get a little politically active. Well, now, in 1969, my sister and I desegregated our elementary school in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And that was interesting. Um, it was one of those things uh, that back then it was choice, not chance. So you, got to, you had to decide whether or not you wanted to go to a desegregated school. So it was me and my sister. We'd go to the all-white school in the daytime and stand on the corner to wait for the bus from the consolidated black school to take us back to the neighborhood. And so that was an interesting thing. So I would say, you know, my mother's Canadian too. My, my father was in the Navy, met my mother in Nova Scotia. Uh, my mother taught at Queen Elizabeth High School, the first grade. So I think it was a lot, a lot of it was my mother. Mm -hmm. um, my father went in the Navy when he was 16 in 1940. When wow. blacks were cooks and Filipinos were cabin boys and stayed in for 27 years. So in, in selecting somebody or, cause they came to our family and said, would you do this? Um, it was a family who had been around and had some degree about some degree of sophistication. I mean, my, although my father only had an eighth grade education at that time, but it was this was the, these were the kids that were chosen to go into that particular uh, situation. And it was you know it wasn't it wasn't as tense as it could have been. It had its moments, mm -hmm. but um, you know I've got lifelong friendships. The uh, the principal. Alan King, we still communicate. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So every time I see him, he starts crying. I'm so proud of you. But, but, um, and then going to Wofford, um, uh, I went to Dorman High School. That was, um, um, on the west side. That's right. That was, that was, um, guidance counselors saying this, you know, they offered money and that's where I went. So and then I end up coming to Columbia. I came to Columbia 
uh, I think it was the early 80s, and I, I did a march from Chester to uh, Columbia over the death of a young black man by the name of Mickey McClinton. It was Ralph Abernathy's last march. People don't know Ralph Abernathy III. His son started school at Benedict, so we were all friends. And then I went to work with Dick Riley. The old thing back then was the way you stop people from protest is to give them a job. And I got a job in the governor's office. I worked in Dick Riley's office, um, CETA, Comprehensive Employment and Training Act, mm -hmm. as their summer youth uh, coordinator, uh, uh, doing statewide organizing. And then um, I left there for a while to do Jesse's Campaign 84, and then I went back to the governor's office to work with Division of Rural Improvement. Who was governor then? Dick Riley. Dick was still governor Dick was then. Dick Riley. So um, between Jesse Jackson, uh, Dick Riley, and Francie Close, because I was at the Peace Resource Center. Is that uh, how y'all met? We met. I met she was the, uh, the board chair of the Carolina Peace Resource Center that was on Rosewood and asked me, um, would I come and help organize and talk me into it? And we've been working together ever since. Now, how did Francie get here? No, I think Francie. She wasn't originally from Francie's Columbia. Francie's from Fort Mill. Francie yeah. must have, I think it might have been a getting married thing. Um, but um, and she's still commuting back and forth between Fort Mill. Her mother passed away last year. Yeah, I saw that yeah. in the news. Yeah, but Francie, um, you know, Francie married... Um, that, Francie married a man, and then they had a couple of kids, and they moved over to Shandon. And said so Francie's always been involved in in, in uh, progressive issues. I mean, she's been funding the women's shelter for years. Yeah. And of course, her um, brother. She's got one brother who's a lay minister, who um, when they had a, I shouldn't be telling people's business, but then when they had good luck with the Panthers, they donated a whole lot of that Panther money to foundations uh, between South Carolina and North Carolina. Uh, $30 million to the Carolina Foundation. You know, they put a whole lot of money in the Annie Smith Close Greenway, um, petting zoos. Uh, Francie does the environmental stuff. They um, they just, they do good work. Um, the Francie's family's done incredible things in our in our state. And and they've done North Carolina as well. I know they're, they're very connected there as well. But for South Carolina... A family of their stature has has and really given about about it. It, the very little fanfare. You're exactly right. And you could sit in a room with them and not know that they had the wealth that they that they have. But you know, Francie and I, so we started doing the Peace Center, and then now we're doing Savannah River Watch, which is basically oversight of um, the Savannah River plant operations. Um, Tom Clemens is the director who mm -hmm. does most of the work. We just kind of meet every now and then and say, yeah, Tom, that's pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, of course, she and I uh, helped the, get the uh, Ernest A. Finney Cultural Arts Center uh, started, which is right behind the restaurant. used to be Southern Electric. And uh, just trying to get that organized, she bought that building, helped set up the 501c3 for the building, and gave them the building. So now it's just a matter of, you know, pulling the pieces together and getting the county and the city and the university and the community together on what I think is going to be a good project. Well, I think it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be very interesting in, in pulling all the groups because I think what you're seeing is a new atmosphere in Columbia where people are really understanding that we got to collaborate together for the, the better of the community and we got to tell our story. Well, you know, I, 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 you know that I speak highly of you. Um, there's, you've surprised people, but I, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. Uh, but the, the, uh, the openness and reaching out to people in the community and actually talking to people. Now, I don't want to compare you to another mayor who 
who uh, invested in an airport, in, a, in an airline. I mean, you know, I don't want to talk about that. Y'all know nothing about Air South. You, I, I, I flew <laughs> Air South. Everybody, know, I, yeah. I remember where I got stuck in Chicago. I got stuck in, Char in Greenville going to Chicago where they overbooked and um, just told, told me I couldn't get on the plane in Greenville. I'm trying to go to, to Chicago to a Jesse Jackson meeting. And we're going to put me in jail when I ask, well, you know, how to pay for this ticket. But, but now the comparison, I was going to. That's not the first time you got threatened. In no, jail. I've been threatened a lot. But, <laughs> but, but you know, the um, between Bob Coble and then uh, Mayor Benjamin, you know, Mayor Benjamin was a corporate mayor, and um, and uh, Bob Coble, he was somebody you could call, and he would call you back. He stayed in touch. I don't know how he did it. But he communicated with people. Um, he tried not to go home because there were six kids there. <laughs> that could be it. That, that, that could be it. But, and, and I talked about it on the, pot, on the, uh, the lecture I gave the other night. And I, I don't want to make this into kick the former mayor thing. But, um, you know, a lot of politicians these days, are run, they run for office. But their eye is really on the next office and the next office. And so, really, I mean, the, the people are... The people vote for you. They have faith in you. But, you, you know, at some point, what, what do you leave and what do you deliver? And I'm not, I'm not you know, my criticism about what the development in the city prior to your administration is, well, you can see what's going on in the Vista. You can see what's going on in Main Street, North Main Street. Um, Divine Street is really coming along. Um, you can see the growth between the, the city going down to Forest Acres and I'm pleasantly surprised with Bull Street Commons, so I guess I would have to give the, the former mayor credit for that and getting that started. A lot of people were concerned that they would be paying for somebody else's party. But I think that that kind of brings the city together and has forced a little bit of movement. But then again, you can look at what's between Five Points and, and Bull Street. And you've got two black colleges and you got, you know, you got a theater that's a nice sore. Nobody, I had a conversation nobody with Alan wants to about talk that. About it, yeah. I had a conversation yeah. with him about that. Uh, I went and visited their campus, Kevin. So we're it's on the radar. I told him we really need to move that up the priority list. And yeah. obviously, their alumni wants them to build a new football stadium first. Yeah, yeah. Well, there <laughs> I had you go. The same, I had the same look. <laughs> but I will tell you, I went to the hospital. Yeah. And took a tour. And I was really impressed with what they're building and, and the partnerships that they got with Boeing and Dominion and mm -hmm. others. This is really going to be a, a, a nice addition to that community. Unbelievable. I, I mean, I, I could I was there. I was blown away because it was re, it's really done right. The lecture hall that they built, the opportunity they've got with all the major networks to hold these four series a year debates mm -hmm. and so I was like this, this is this is the kind of exposure we want here. You can see what that area can become. Oh, hey, look. I I I ride I ride by Stark Street every day on my way into town. And I do it on purpose because I'm very frustrated with the continuing dumping and stuff. And so I've started to really dig into a lot of it. Well, I found out that there are certain churches in our neighborhoods that own residential lots, and they've owned them for decades. Mm -hmm. We're talking 33 lots in that one neighborhood. We need those turned into houses so they don't become dumping grounds and they don't breed drugs and we don't let the rest of the neighborhood cave. That that row up Stark Street, then Cherry Street, and on over, it, it is the heart of our community. It's the heart, but the fear, 
Now, I agree with you, and I'm looking at our neighborhood. I live in Barnville Estates, and, and that whole area is redeveloping. Now, you still got what's across Tunacha Road mm -hmm. on Pinehurst and Schoolhouse Road. And, and of course, it's, that's a matter of income and a matter of landlords not maintaining their responsibility. Yep. Um, so it, it's, but you still have to hold people accountable for the condition of the neighborhood. You, you really have no choice or you'll end up living in a, um, a neighborhood that's just falling apart. But if we can help folks and leverage the opportunities, you know, I was talking to the HUD. I made a, I got HUD to do an analysis of, of all our spending. It cost us more to do projects than any other city in South Carolina. Now, so why is that? Then? Well, that's what I'm digging okay, into right. because that drives. I mean, I looked at it, the, like the home ownership program that they have, which I'm a big advocate. I mean, one of my goals is to create more home ownership opportunities because I believe that's the quickest way to individual wealth. But I looked at it and I was like, well, we only did 219 homes in the same amount of time that Greenville and Charleston. We get the same allotment because mm -hmm. it's done by formula base. They were doing six and 700 units. Now, how did they, how did they do that? They put, they, they, that's what I was trying to figure out is, is why has it cost us this much to do the same thing that they're doing for this? And that's what I'm trying to dig in. But then I started talking to the HUD director met with Secretary Fudge, and then her staff, her deputy director, and I have been on the phone a lot, and, and he was just sharing all the opportunities. You remember the East Central plan? No, 2003? I have the 2000, uh, the Blueprint 2000 plan sitting on my desk at home. All right, so I went down to the basement at City Hall, and I found the East Central plan. It's from 2003-2004. You know, it has uh, parts of 292203 to 4 and 5. Our, our lower income neighborhoods, and it has it by clusters where housing, townhome, you know, we went through these big charrettes in the community. We never did anything with it. And part of it is we never had the money at that time to do what we could. We should have started picking off, but it didn't happen. Well, I was talking to the HUD director, and they were like, well, you know, why hasn't the city of Columbia ever filed for a choice neighborhood grant? He goes, you can get $2.5 million for planning, and then you can get up to $35 million. And that $35 million, if you leverage it with the private sector, could turn into $150 million. I was like, I can change a zip code yeah, with that you, type of money. E even if you look at the neighborhood groups in Columbia, the neighborhood groups, the leadership is an older leadership, not really talking to the community. Um, a lot of them don't have the, and um, you know, just being honest, don't have the grant-seeking skills and the organizing skills to help develop a community. I mean, you know, sometimes they don't even know if someone's sick in their community, much less assessing the needs. I mean, and we're talking about neighborhood presidents, but, you know, you've, you've got to know what's going on in your neighborhood, and you've got to uh, be organized to ask for the money. I know they did water studies in Columbia years ago, and, of course, Olympia, the people that were organized got money. The people that weren't on this side of town didn't get the money simply because they didn't go to those meetings and ask for that money. And um, so, you know, the other part of, that you'll have to wrestle with is how do you reorganize those neighborhood groups to where they have some power. And then the city, now, I don't know city government. I worked in city government back in the 80s in Spartanburg as a public service director. Um, public service employment director. But, um, you know, you, the city and the county will make a plan. They don't include anybody in the community in the making of the plan. You might get to come in there and listen to somebody 
talk up on stage or talk behind the, the podium or wherever. And then you got these planners that come in and they plan that plan and they get an offer to go someplace else and that plan is in the basement of City Hall. No one else reads it. So you have to figure out a way that if you're going to have a plan, how do you integrate the, the, the people who are affected by it into the implementation of that plan? So what's great about that is, is that was one of the first plans that really the community was engaged with. And so I hired somebody who's done nothing but go to all the neighborhoods and make sure that the plan that we have still is today and that people understand what we're trying to do and what their input and I will tell you, I think the majority of the feedback is, is people like, we never thought that plan would ever make it to anywhere. You made it to the basement. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're excited that we have, have an opportunity. But all, what also made me realize is that we don't have the depth at the city to go after the funding. So we, we have, we've outsourced, we put an RFQ out, we've got these, these folks, they all used to work at HUD or they worked at DOE or whatever. But I'm like, who cares? If we pay them a fee and we get stuff, we don't have we got an opportunity to do something and we may not have this opportunity in the future because between what's at the federal level and the state level and grants and formula based if we leverage it right we can change our entire community i think columbia is right now columbia is in a good place it's, it's kind of like a blank slate uh, it is and, it's canvas open mm-hmm. right now boy that's a better that's a better a metaphor i guess analogy it's, it's a blank canvas and if we can get some energy in here and some young energy and capital, I think it can happen. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about the spot that we're in because um, I, I envisioned an artist uh, area or district kind of like Noda up in Charlotte. I mean, that's, it, you know, Charlotte has so much energy. And this idea of Charlotte, the Charlotte uh, advertising, Charlotte's got a lot all around Columbia, you know. People don't drive from Charlotte to come to Columbia. Let's go to Columbia for the weekend. They, you know, you drive to Charlotte or you drive to Charleston. You know what will blow you away, Kevin? What? We get 15 million visitors a year in Columbia. Our problem is only 5 million spend the night. Really? Yeah. Myrtle Beach is 22 million visitors a year. We get 15. Now, where are they just coming in and going? I mean, Yeah, they come here for the day. They're here for the day. And we got a small portion, obviously, deals with football and visitors and stuff. But think about if we could elevate that. What if you just went up 25%? What that would do for our local economy? How we could attract more restaurants, more business, get more people. We got 3,000 people living downtown. Are you talking about the hospitality tax? Huh? Are you talking about going? Oh, you're talking about 25% on, on the number of people coming. Yeah. I thought you were saying raise the hospitality tax. Oh, no, no. no, I think, you know, look. You can do a lot of good with the hospitality tax, but I'm a true believer it penalizes the working person more than anybody. A working mom who doesn't have working two jobs, who can't go to the grocery store to where she's paying 2%. I think it penalizes small businesses. We support all the other businesses in the hospitality well, zone. Well, you're, 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 this is what I always bitched about, that when I was in the restaurant business, I'm paying 2% to the credit card company to collect your taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, it's three, now it's 3%, yeah. right? 3%. And that, that was mine. But speaking of, of restaurants, tell us why you decided Railroad. Um, where the recipes came from, I mean, it is by far, I think, one of the best restaurants in Columbia. Uh, we got a lot of out-of-towners. A lot of out-of-towners. Well, I, I'll tell you, your billboard works. Yeah, I just re-upped on them yesterday. But um, 
you know, it's, it, well, of course, Siri will send you to us when you come to Columbia. You ask, where's best barbecue? Siri will send you right to us. And What'd that cost you? I, them five stars that people keep leaving. We got a three star the other day because the guy said the food was great, but whoever, and it was a call in order. The food was great, but I got the wrong order. I said, I'd go back and buy more, and what I got tasted good, but it wasn't what I ordered. That was the first time we had gotten a three star in a long time. But um, at first, I thought, my young, I met a young Indian fella, uh, Kayer Nayak, had a little spot, we had several little spots uh, in the hood. And we became friends, and uh, he's in his, in his 40s, same age as my kids. And um, we, we just hit it off. I mean, he, he was a Dallas Cowboy fan, I won't hold that against him. But um, he was very open. But then again, you know, you meet Kevin, and Kevin knows something about Hinduism, and you know, and a little bit of everything. And, um, as I said, I try to meet people where we have common ground. And um, he started introducing me to other Indian business people. And, um, and um, I remember going to a meeting, and one of the community leaders, who shall remain nameless, says to me, Kevin, I'll beat you down. You're working with those people. And the police had to take me out of that meeting. And I actually did. Though the guy got fired a week later, I was still with the ACLU, and this guy, who happened to be well-known in the community, one of the community presidents, but he was biased against the Indian community. He felt as though the Indian community was coming in and taking businesses that ought to be run by black people. And um, he, you know, here you, Kevin, you aligning with them. And he said, oh, he said in a meeting, public meeting at uh, the, um, the, the swim center. True uh, wellness? True wellness. He said, I'll beat you down. I'm like, dude. Said that in front of a police officer. I said, really? I asked the police, did you hear him threaten me? And these were black people. The young black officer said, no, you have to leave the meeting. And I'm president of ACLU, so you know I told him, F you. <laughs> and he said to you, what did you say to me? F you. Now, I said in the, now, it, it totally, he lost it. But now, remember, I'm, uh, you know, I'm President ACLU and saying F you to a government official is protected speech. And I knew that. That little young police didn't know that. He didn't know me. He was fired a week later. But um, it was through Kayer. Kayer and I got that building in foreclosure for a, a steal. We were going to just put an offset smoker out back and just start a barbecue place. At first, we wanted to do it on two notch thinking we were going to develop two notch, but that was... That was Anthony's Dairy Bar for a while. It, no, we were across from Anthony's Dairy Bar. and um, No, here. Well, your place was Anthony's at one point. No, I was... I, uh, it was Anthony's. It was Anthony's, Albee's, Lamb's Bread, yep. Perry's uh, um, Cajun Turkey Wings, yeah. and Perry's Kitchen. So it's been a bunch of different... And when I came to Columbia, it was a functioning gas station. You know, Mr. Barron used to own that gas station when it started out. That building was built in 1946. Really? Yep. The guy that owns the the, uh, the gun store up across yeah. from Benedict. It was a Gulf station, and then J.J. Warner bought it from him. So it, it's, um, it was Gulf and Shell. I thought it was a Phillips for some reason, which is when I did my railroad logo, I was doing it off of the uh, the Pure logo. Yeah. And they said, no, it wasn't Pure. It was too late for that. But... Um, but originally we thought about two-notch and trying to do something on two-notch so it was going to be top-notch barbecue. But two-notch is tough. And, um, and then we ran across that building and it just made sense. Um, I think it's the perfect size. It's the perfect size. It really is. And so he, he, we started renovating the building and his mother and father talked him into moving to Dallas. They worked with his brother. They opened three Papa John's 
in Dallas. And um, then I taught Francie into it. And every time Francie would come by that building when I was working and I had the big top-notch sign, a train would come by. And Francie said, you ought to call it Railroad Barbecue. Francie, if we change the name, we got to check, do all the legal stuff. And it's just, we got, she won. She won. <laughs> the, the, you know, the sign was $3,400. And Francie, you know, we, do we want to buy another $3,400 sign, which is in my backyard? <laughs> You know, I got to get rid of those two sides. But, um, you know, train kept coming by and it didn't make sense. It, it made all the sense in the world. Now, I had all the art memorabilia. I used to have an art gallery um, in the mall that used to be, where well, Green Street used to be, mm-hmm. where Cookout is now. Yeah, yeah. Back in the 80s, I had an uh, art, uh, art gallery called Timbuktu. After I did Jesse's campaign, I didn't know what to do. I thought I'd sail around the world, but I wasn't a good swimmer. Couldn't sail. <laughs> So I went to Africa. Went to South, I went on a tour of Southern Africa, and that was when Mandela. Where did you go? I went to South, South Africa, but they never let me out the airport. That was, Mandela was still in jail. And um, Oliver Tambo was the president of the ANC. And I was doing anti-apartheid work. I don't know why I ever thought they would let me in South Africa. But I did get in Swaziland, Mozambique, Botswana, Lesotho. Mozambique is a beautiful country. I just saw a special on it. Mozambique is some place to go. It's changed a lot when I was, I was there in the 80s when, um, you know, this, there was still civil war and they were still fighting the South Africans. The South Africans were, you know, just trying to destabilize the area to stay in power. Mm-hmm. And um, so I came back and brought a lot of artwork back and, and uh, opened that gallery. And, um, and then even with ACLU and Jesse and all the campaigns and stuff and then working at Black News. And uh, I actually packed the Carolina Panorama, used to be the Palmetto Post. And I was their first editor, and we printed it over at the Grove Cafe, Brett Bercy. And um, I remember Wendy Brinker and Sandra Stringer, we'd be over there on that copy graphic. That's when you had to cut and paste the so newspaper you together. Yourself. Yep. Old school. Old school. And then all the, all the photos from Black News and the camp. So I, I got tons of stuff. And, um, you know, I, even in doing the restaurant, I said, well, you know, it's either do something with this stuff or you get old, you, you die. Kids go through your boxes. They set it on the side of the road. They don't know the story. They don't know. They, yeah, and, and you never know what's, what's significant. The smallest thing can be significant and can tell a story. And so I just felt, you know, this is back on the original thing. Well, you know, some of the things I wish I had to put under that hard epoxy, you know, because you'll never get it out. But um, And some of the pictures on the wall will probably end up going to a museum at some point in time. But now on the food... Uh, my college roommate, I mean, I had, we, we had a house on Church Street in Spartanburg. Me, uh, Chip Finney, who's a solicitor, Thomas Burnett, called him Chopper, Chopper, defensive tackle at Wofford. But Chopper uh, opens and manages restaurants, so he did before he retired. He ran Bennigan's in Charlotte and scoreboard. Mm-hmm. And so Chopper came down and helped us get open. He found us our first pit master off the festival circuit, Market Brito, Marco Brito. Marco was Mexican. Ecuadorian American from Houston, Texas. So Marco taught Pedro, it's Black Pedro, Pedro Staples, and he's a junior, um, who is our current pit master. And uh, Marco still comes down. We checked back in with him, but Marco came down for two years. We, you know, just getting the recipes together. Um, the menu is pretty much, I. I take credit for that menu. That big menu board was an art project to me. I thought about all the things that I would want to have in a, in a, 
at a barbecue place. Is that I would, why it took you like three years what to else? open but you this know, place? I, I laid all that tile. I didn't do it all by myself, but I did a whole lot of hauling. Can you uh, talk about the opening this barbecue house? I mean, I must have ridden by there a thousand nobody times. Nobody thought I was ever going to get that I place open. I didn't think you were doing it. I was like, man, I'd like to be his landlord. <laughs> well, well, given given what we paid for that building, I mean, we got that building for a song. Deal. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, one of the um, restaurant owners in the Vista told me he was paying with uh, lease lease payments and uh, utilities, he was paying $21,000 a month to be in the Vista. I'm like, dude, like, how do you do that? I mean, he's got to be doing 75 grand a month to make that nut work. <sighs> well, you know, I, I uh, have a, a, a Peter who owns uh, Arabesque. His father actually was an 88 Jackson delegate, so I've known his family a long really? time. Really? Yes. It's one, of, it's, it's one of those secret restaurants. I call it secret because a lot of people don't know about it. I think the food's fantastic. The food's good. And he, he doesn't. He said he doesn't do a good. He doesn't do a big lunch, but he does a big dinner. You know, if you on you know if you're on Divine Street, you got to make a million dollars a year to just be there. I mean, we're we're doing good. You know, we're not where we need to be, but. But uh, between catering and we got a regular clientele, um, and it, it's building. And um, you know, the, we're making more money in that location than any other restaurant is made in that location. Um, but it, you know, and then we're trying to pay wages that are above standard. We're trying to get everybody at or above that livable wage. So we we do a lot of things, tip sharing, electronic tip sharing, uh, with everybody. And um, you know, we start wait staff off. Way above that, what is it, 275? We start them out at 950. And I tell them because they they do well on tips. I said the people aren't just tipping you because you 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 provide good service, which you are. I said they're tipping you because they support what we're trying to do here. And remember that I said ain't nobody walking in McDonald's or Bojangles and leaving dropping a, dropping a ten twenty dollar tip. So you know it's. Well, it's, I mean, but it, what's great about it is, is one, you got a really good staff that works there. Uh, you know, ladies are engaging with, it doesn't matter who's coming in the door. But the atmosphere of it, because the collection that you have hanging in there from sports to politics to events to, you know, good events. It's a community man, space. It is. And it's intriguing because for me, the best part of eating in there is looking around at the wall. I always find something I didn't know was there. I it's, see it's, something different. It's very interesting to see people come back because they haven't seen everything on the wall. I come back for the hash and rice. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and I, I went to the Frankie Beverly concert on my birthday um, and Alex English and, um, Alex Angus came by for the after party, and he saw that picture of him walking off the court of Carolina. I said, Alex, I've been trying to get you in here since I opened. I said, I, that was one of the first pictures I put up there, and, I, and it was the center, and I put everything else around your picture that I put on the wall. That was what I started with. And he said, I can do one better. So he brought me a signed Denver Nugget jersey and a poster, which I hung. So I, feel, I figure that's going to become a trend with local athletes bringing us something. I just got to find more space. Well, now I'm hanging stuff from the ceiling. You know so. what you got to get in there? What? Leah Boston. Yeah, I saw that. I was, I started to mean tweet um, Seth ESPN. Curry last night. I started, to mean, <laughs> I, started to mean, I started to mean tweet him last night. I mean, that was kind of shoddy. Uh, you know, and I'm glad you made a statement. I, I you know, I, I, there, there's no. There's no excuse they have, you no, know. No. And, and and when they played the COVID car, oh, oh, 
Just for they didn't invite her to the ESPYs. They, they nominated her. her. And then they said they weren't. And last year they had both the, the men and uh, female women uh, nominees at the show, and they were allowed to speak. And, 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 you know, look, she's earned it. She worked her. She's a, she is a role model for young women, especially young black women. I mean, you got to remember, Aaliyah Boston left her home to go to a school in New England so that she could have a better education and an opportunity to play basketball. And then she got an opportunity to play here. And she rose to the occasion. Well, Not once did she flinch. Not once did she stop back. And she has been positive. If you've listened to everything she said, she is a positive role model for young But you know women. there's a stereotype against South Carolina. It's always been there. That's one reason I stay here. I mean, everybody thinks... Confederate flag, and you know my history with the flag, mm-hmm. and you know the, the the history of the state succeeding, and the politics of pretty red state, and that that and that's how the nation judges South Carolina. And you know what? I just participated in a program, uh, Bloomberg Harvard program, first of a year. It's a year long series, and I have first four days, and there was a study about uh, the John Calhoun case study and we were getting into it and I, I you know it was interesting because I listened to everybody around the room and I said you know it's so funny y'all all talking about South Carolina and somebody brought up you know well the NCAA wouldn't do basketball with tournaments the, with, everything. The, with the NAACP boycott yeah yeah and and I said well I said you know you know, so explain this if you're you're a guy I, my family didn't move here till 1967 I'm an immigrant child I, I wasn't here for a lot of this and so you know but what I've seen is what the effect has. I said, but one question nobody can ever answer to me. How did Georgia get to have every major playoff, every Super Bowl playoff, SEC championship, college sports event in the city of Atlanta when the Georgia flag had the Confederate flag in it and flew on that their capital the whole time South Carolina had the same thing? Why did we get discriminated against? Well, now that's a longer discussion about the NAACP. That's a long discussion. But you know, but you're right. It, it, and, and I told somebody, I said, I can tell you right now, June 10th, 2015, the flag came off. And I will tell you, I think better discussions and better progress has happened since that, that day. I would agree with that. I um, Listen, I, I tell people South Carolina isn't so much red as contrary. We're a contrarian state. And a, a state that um, just has a natural... Um, animosity or whatever other words you want to use against elitism and um, you just look at the national news you know it's it's South Carolina's contrary it's going to go its own way and uh, and so people will get confused about that and the other part of it you know I write about the history of the state um, and everybody's talking critical race theory and all this other stuff I mean history is what it is and it's good and bad that's just the way it is. And the Confederacy existed, slavery existed. It all, you know, we, as I said, I went through uh, the period of desegregation and, and marching. That's just the way it is. Now, you have to learn and, and work through that, and you have to know the history. I, I, one of the reasons I think, you know, even when I was protesting the flag, you know, at least I took the time to study the history of my state and the Confederacy to know what I was talking about and when, what I was challenging. 
I mean, I, you know, I've read the, the uh, articles of secession. I mean, I've, I've written about it. I know, know about various flags. Um, but, and the weird thing about the race in this state is that black folk and white folk have always been close, although they pretend not to be at times. They pretend not to be politically. Um, I mean, I think about the restaurant business, and I say, you know, I'm coming up in, you know, black folk have cooked, black folk have cooked for white folk, take care of their food, their kids, didn't poison anybody, didn't kill, you know, it's like, what is, what is going on in this country that people don't understand that we're closer than we think, and that you always have to start where you have something in common. If you just start where you have something if where you have differences, then you're not even going to have a conversation. You're just going to ball your fists up. Now, I mean, I, I can, if it gets to that, I mean, I, you know, but right now I, I tell people I'm about the business of taking care of my business over here. <laughs> and and uh, instead of marching and, and talking a whole lot of junk, I said the best thing that I could do is build something or create something that set an example for what it, what it is that I believe in and uh, what it is I want to do. And, and how I can help the city develop. I mean, I live here. I've been here for 38 years. You know, raised my kids and now great-grandkids. I'm You're not going anywhere. 50% of your life was spent here. It's I've been, your home. I've been here. I don't, I've, you know, I've had opportunities to leave the state, and I might leave for a while, but I come back. But, you know, that's it, and Columbia is a good place to be. It's, it's just how do you develop the new leadership? How do you get people involved? How do you find the capital and credit to, to, to get other people in business? Um, how, you know, how, how do, if in the particular area I'm at, how do you develop that area? What needs to happen? How can people have input in it? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was over on Barnaville Road um, about two months ago having a conversation with Mr. Watkins. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's frustrated. He's like, you know, I'm in my house. I've been living here. I raised my kids here. I got involved at the PTA but at C.A. Johnson. And he said, but I'm frustrated. And he said, look around my neighborhood. The shooting here last night. People just shooting bullets. Nobody's standing up, trying to stop it. I got a housing authority owns a building over here that's been boarded up. He goes, we got to change the narrative here. Some of that's, on, that's, some of that's on you, Mr. Mayor. I mean, Absolutely. I, I mean, it's that, on me. You got, you got code enforcement. But, and now you know, I know they complain about the people who will complain about disparate treatment and who's in who's ends up in cold court. But the, you know, if there's a rule that no cars should be parked on the front yard, then enforce the rule. Well, we only enforce it in certain areas. That's right. Well, you know, we have, we. My thing is, is if we can make every street and every sidewalk clean and safe, we can put lighting up. We work with our neighborhoods to leverage the money we have for revitalization, give people opportunities. We're tearing down 68 homes this summer across the city. But I don't want to leave those empty lots because you and I know exactly what will happen to those empty lots. Well, as I said, I, I'm looking, I'm, because I live in Barneville Station, I see a lot of people have started working on their houses. And I've been working on mine for 38 years and I kind of accelerated it just because I'm getting older. And so there's a lot of development going on up on Waits Road with yep. Myrtle Grove. And um, I see a lot of houses that are being built even behind the El Cheapos. Um, and that's a whole nother story. You know, I, you know, I understand businesses dealing with desperate people, but it's basically exploitation. And, 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 and it's one thing to take the most desperate people's money. It's another thing with me to just disrespect them and not even, I, I got some issues there. With some of the businesses, but um, and I, but I will engage those people. 
that run those businesses because you you know you're not going to be able to hold anybody accountable unless you deal with them and know mm-hmm. them so i'm like hey a couple of them here you don't really want to talk to people this way and maybe you don't want the um, I mean, I don't think you ought to just have prostitution roundup because that's a waste of time and energy for the police. But, you know, it still affects your neighborhood. But but on Barnaville Estates and on Barnaville Road, things are happening. And I think a lot it, a lot of what's going on on Bull Street has to do with the development. But, you, you know, if you go through those neighborhoods, and Barnaville Road, that's the old black teacher's neighborhood. All those brick houses that run that road. I mean, you had Dr. Walker Solomon, you had the Bowdens. I mean, then the kids didn't keep those houses a few, but but uh, there's something that didn't happen um, when when that generation got older. Um, the representation didn't make sure that the infrastructure kept being developed, sidewalks, lighting, um, and those are the things that that neighborhood misses. I mean, even where I'm at now, you know, I'm next to Cherokee Street, and I haven't had any trouble with Cherokee Street. The problems that we've had are people that come into the neighborhood. Because a lot of people are on Cherokee Street and in Waverly, those are some of the uh, poor, they're the working poor of Columbia that their work lives ended and they end up in boarding houses on that side of town. They're not the homeless people that populate mm. this side of town. They're, they're locals. And um, so, you, you know, you have to consider that. But, but you know, the, the problem over there is infrastructure, city services. When I first uh, started working on the restaurant, a city council person came in. They said, we're going to do a light study. Well, that never happened. But, um, and I think I told you about, uh, I don't know who came up with the idea. They got a bicycle rack in front of a black beauty shop. Have you ever seen any woman, black or white, ride a bicycle to a beauty shop? I mean, why would the city put a bike rack in front of a beauty shop? It's like, y'all must just have had money to throw away. That was your predecessor. And um, <laughs> have, have you seen this right across from the red line? It's a bike rack in front of Have you ever seen a woman ride a bike to a beauty shop? You're not going to find any black women riding a bike to a beauty shop. Sweat out there, dude. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, so... Those but you're of, right. You know, it's like, well, the discussion you, you when you called about the trash can. The, the city trash can. The city trash can is falling in the street. It's in front of the voter registration office. Over it's from, on TV with the trash in, on the ground. Welcome to Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, go, go Clean, vote, safe go, city. Go vote. It's like, it's just, it, I, and I, you know, you call your council person, they thinking they're doing you a favor fixing their trash can. I guess I owe somebody something because they fixed their trash can. And I've got to pick up the trash down the street because ain't like a yellow shirt is going to come way up where I'm at and pick up the trash. But, you know, Kevin, that's one of the things we got to go back to instill. You know, a lot of people don't realize that their property line really goes to the curb. They're responsible for the grass and everything. I mean, when I was a young business guy, I mean, we had to clean. We cleaned the whole block. We made sure none of our customers waste, trash, anything impeded anybody else. People don't do that anymore. They expect somebody in the yellow shirt to come pick it up. But, but I hear you. Uh, and, I, and every time I see them yellow shirts and I sign that hospitality tax check on it yesterday, I think I signed, day before yesterday. And then I have to pay somebody in the district $200 a month to cut the grass in the easement. Now, you said that we, that we, the, the, the property owner owns to the curb. The property owner, come on, Mr. Mayor, y'all got that three-foot easement. It's three-foot or six-foot? They own it. Huh? You own it. Come on, man. I thought it was three-foot or six-foot, y'all, that, that y'all own, where the, where the uh, water meter's at and all that. Y'all own that. Come on. 
No, every, it, it's actually in the cut. We talked about it because one of the things I want to do is is remind people of that. And then, you know, because I want to clean up the medians. I don't want to ride down Gervais Street or Taylor Street or any street, Farrell Road. And Two see, Notch Road. See weeds. And I'll tell you, I think, I think from Benedict to Beltline has gotten so much better, dude. Well, from Benedict to Beltline, but if you go. Well, we got to go from there to Cushman mm-hmm. and then Cushman to Decker. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I think those gateways are primed for development. Well, when I came to Columbia, Two Notch was the motor mile. They had all the car lots on Two Notch. Then they moved, Every one of them, you're then right. They, then they moved to Greystone. And then after Greystone. They moved to Killian right That's now. right. That's right. So they keep moving. So I don't, you know, you've got those big, big vacant car, uh, car dealerships, BMW and Pro, I think it's Auto Pro. And luckily, um, the tire store, um, Nuttall's moved up in that dick. That was a big boost to that area. Hey, that was big. I think the city buying the old Capitol Chevrolet and putting the water mm-hmm. that department was a good there, good, mm-hmm. because then we we got development across, and, and Godwin went down and opened up, took over the old Dick Dyer, uh, not Dick Dyer, Dick Smith spot, fixed it up. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what they've done at the, um, the old grocery store site and mall site that um, – uh, Gary, uh, Charles Gary did. I mean, there's 37 minority businesses in mm-hmm. that building, all providing service to the community. I'm like, he leveraged empty uh, building tax credits and all these things. I'm like, this is the model that we need to take all the way down. I'm glad he's doing well on that because I, I know when he started out, he wanted that hotel down in that field by the by the Benedict's football stadium so bad. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what Benedict's going to do with all that land, but and if they, you know, the hospital, I know they kind of eye in some of that, but there's some things that can be done on two nights, but it starts with infrastructure. Yeah. I hated that they tore down West Side Ice. I thought that would be the coolest restaurant with that little docking bay right there as outdoor seating. I I thought it would have been killer. Although Flagship said every time, you know, they had flooding problems because of uh, West Side Ice. Ice. So it's, um, I mean, two nights is a hard one. It's a hard one because I said you got that corridor. But you just got to look at things differently, and I think that's what we're trying to to push with people is to look at every problem that we have from a different angle. You know, one of the worst things we had at the city of Columbia is the thing I've hated ever since the day I've been there, and I use the word hating that because it really did it ate me up. Is that the first word that came out of anybody's mouth is we can't do that. No, it was no. I mean, if it was our attorney or whatever, I'm like, yo, let's be creative. I sat down meeting with with the employees, these hourly folks, and you know we talked about wages and other things. We and we made changes in that and elevate, but they also came up with all these great ideas how to make their jobs better and for us to be able to provide better service. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell anybody? And they're like, there was no mechanism. It would be a really good thing if the city of Columbia would release the development plan and and educate the community on what what the vision is for the future of Columbia. That would be a really good idea. Nobody really knows. I mean, um, what's going to happen over near Benedict? What's going to happen on North Main? It, uh, housing. That would just be a good Problem thing right to Problem right now is, Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you, we got, we got 15 to 25 people who I learned a new term this week. It's called Cave Citizens Against Virtually Everything. <laughs> 
that keep us from from moving forward. You know, oh, we don't want more traffic. We don't want this. You know, we're in the process right now of eliminating parking requirements in the city of Columbia for non-residential. So, I mean, we don't need parking lots everywhere. We need buildings in there with businesses. Well, now, isn't the county talking about building a big parking garage right next to us in that space that they bought the plaza? I hadn't heard that. Well, that was the original plan of um, One time I the heard they were going to build a, uh, uh, the courthouse down there. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that was part of the Renaissance plan. They were going to move the people out to uh, Columbia Mall, some of their offices. Well, they're moving 911, which is a joint venture with the city and the sheriff's office to the mall. I know that. Well, my wife has been at Macy's, and before it was Macy's, it was Rich's. She's been in that building for 25 years selling shoes. If you're, if you're a woman who buys shoes at Macy's, my wife has probably sold them to you. She's had, which is so funny, you may, I mentioned the old school teachers, and a lot of them have passed away, like Miss Bowden, and she, my wife could rattle off their names, Dr. Solomon's wife. She sold shoes to all those. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, she started out at Lori's downtown, then went to the mall, oh, and, and then end up... It, she's it riches. At, I forgot. I even forgot. I had a. That was one of like my first credit cards. She, it was a riches she, green card. I remember she, it to this day. She's Miss Macy, but Macy committed to staying in the mall because they knew government service, government agencies were coming there, and apparently they did the same thing in Atlanta, and it boosted their business. So now, although she can probably retire, she can retire. But what, what would she do? She'd have to see me a lot. And I don't really think she wants to do that. That's why she supported you get in the restaurant business. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, my my, a lot of people didn't know I was married for a long time because I, you know, we kind of mind our own business, um, you know. And I, you know, I I haven't always been a saint, but you know, I tell people my wife, I tell them Sam L. Jackson said. Uh, somebody asked him how you've been married so long. He said, "My wife has amnesia." So, um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That's kind of my wife, but you know. Um, but we've we've seen a lot of young people come through the neighborhood, that, and all of them used to come to the house back in the day. I'd take them to the Jackson um, campaign events, and you know, I know the good guys and the bad guys. You got to know who's in your hood, and um, folk have looked out for us, and. Um, you know, I said, I just want to see the neighborhood develop and, and see people um, have economic opportunities. I'm, you know, I, I want to see people not feel like they want to hurt one another, shoot, shoot at one another, terrorize older people. You know, the last, the police department, they're two and two, with, two, two and oh with me right now. I mean, the two cases that I brought to the police department, I think it was a case maybe two years ago, where um, we, right about the time they were breaking in cars in Shandon, and we had this man breaking in storage rooms in our neighborhood. It hit about 30 storage rooms. And one of the older neighbors say to at a, one of the community meetings, uh, I could have swore I heard something outside. But when I look out there, there's nobody out there. And they thought he was crazy. This kid was, you know, and, and found out when we did catch him, because he stole my lawnmower. He hit my house maybe twice. Not, but the best lawnmower I ever had, what was that lawnmower called? Um, strange name. But, Stole my lawnmower and the police caught him because they saw him on camera pushing it across two notch. He's stealing from one side of two notch and um, selling it to the crack house on the other side. And they and they and so they caught him. And then of course maybe about a couple of months ago, somebody stole one of the heaters off our patio and broke into our storage room and stole about eighteen hundred dollars in paper goods. Now we got twenty cameras, and they sent a the young officer. His name was K. A. DeRocher. 
The K.A. was Kevin Alexander. That was his name. So we had the same name. I call him Columbo now. And he looked at <laughs> Columbo. Oh, dude, he's, he's, he's going to Did work. Did he know who Columbo was? Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and um, he's going to work with this new unit he told me about um, that um, pair police officers with mental health workers. He's working on a pathways unit. That's a good idea. So we just, matter of fact, had a discussion. We've hired two. Um, and one of the, the issues we have yet is is we, we're going to hire a couple more because right now they're only working from 8.30 to 5.30. We need some people to work. Yeah, really? At, at night. At night. And we, we budgeted for five So we because we do believe this, this crisis team can help in a lot of ways. But uh, that's great to know he's there. Yeah, but that kid, that young man found my culprit in six days. He was on it. Well, he had to take the seventh day off. Well, yeah, well, you know, he, um, I showed him the picture and he automatically looked at it. He said, that's, that's Frank and Michelle. He knew them. And I, I went to court to the bond hearing with the guy, which was so sad. I said all the way through bond hearing, um, the case where the young fella allegedly shot this kid um, 19 times. Apparently the kid stole a chain from this rapper's protege that was touring Columbia, Zach Black, Black Zach, something like that. And um, that's where it started out. And but and I got to my man, I was last and they let me speak, which I mean I, I didn't hammer him too hard. Um, but the kid had a seven page, he's in his forties, had a seven page rap sheet. It's like, dude, said part of being a professional thief, I would think is getting away with it. I mean you're not getting you're getting caught, dude. Where's this going? But Get out. Part part of our problem, Kevin, really is is yeah. I'm all about everybody deserves a second chance. But when you get to seven, eight, and nine, I'm saying seven pages. The seven seven, seven broke. Well, there was a guy the other day between the city and the county been arrested 41 times for for break-ins or whatever. Got convicted on four, and the judge gave him time served on an eight-year sentence, and he's back out. Guess what they did the next week? They Stole arrested something. him again. Well, and this cat, it might be my guy, but because um, they had a three hundred thousand bond on this guy, because he had stolen from a lot of rest, uh, businesses in the area. But make it all cash then. So at least you learn a lesson. If you're out in in less than thirty-six hours, what are you gonna do? You gonna go do it again? Well, this guy, I said, I asked him, I said, everybody wants to quote Martin Luther King. I said, Martin Luther King said, if you lie, you'll steal. If you steal, you'll kill. He said, I, and then you, you know, you're making me have to wonder, do I have to carry a gun? I don't want to carry a gun. And usually when, I'm, when I come to court, or in the past when I went to court, it was for standing up for the rights of the accused. I believe the accused have rights. And I, I, you know, I thought that the uh, judge was very fair in how he dealt with the, the, the different cases that came through there. And I spent a lot of time in the courts in the past, but it's like, hey, man, at some point, if you're going to steal, I mean, look, if, you, if I'm a victim of a crime, 87% of the time it's going to be by a black person. If you're a victim of a crime, I think the number is 84% of the time you're going to be victimized by a white person. The crime it stays in your neighborhood. It stays in your neighborhood. And well, you remember when all the Shannon, you brought up Shannon, when, when they when they caught the guys who were breaking in all the cars over there, or I, I, I use that term loosely because a lot of cars were unlocked, mm-hmm. but they went for months, they couldn't figure it out, and, and finally it got caught, it ended up being one of the neighborhood leaders' kids. Yeah, well, that's how, I, back when, back when uh, Mayor Coble was in office, I was going to see Francie, 11 o'clock in the afternoon, and... Um, 
the uh, city police happened to be black. I got his card at my house. I'm going to write about him one day. Um, he pulls up and walking to Francis' house at 11 o'clock in the afternoon. He says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to see my friend. He said, what for? Now, there again, I was with ACLU then. I'm seeing Francis. I said, it's none of your business. Trash truck pulls around. He said, well, you've got no business in this neighborhood. I said, i got as much business in this neighborhood as there's that trash, those trash workers. He said, they're working. I said, come on, brother. He said, I'm not your brother. Found out he was my frat brother. I wrote a long letter to Bob Cobo about that guy. He was walking the beat down in five points. So, you know, that, that made me, you know, just, it's not always as it seems, but sometimes it is. Maybe that's, maybe that's the, the moral of that story, but, but I certainly wasn't going to rob Francis. <laughs> Kevin, you, um, you're pretty active in politics and, and, and on all sides and, and engage. I know you, you got to be following some young future leader out there. No, I mean, I, no, no. I, there's one of the presidential candidates that I, I met uh, during the campaign, uh, Ro Khanna, who endorsed Oddity. Did I pronounce the name right? Yeah. Um, he is thinking about running for president, and um, I'm intrigued by it because I would like to, I think I would like to see another good multiracial, multi-issue coalition campaign. I don't know if I have the uh, energy, because I just turned 65, or the patience. And then when you it's probably more patience than energy. Yeah, and then you know I I kind I don't I don't I've I've never done anything thinking I had anything to prove. I just kind of was doing things, just living. And uh, people used to ask me, "What you do for a living?" I said, "Well, I'm pretty much me for a living." You know, that's, you know, writing. I did what I wanted to do. And um, and you know, when you take on the campaign, you know, you really have to be mindful that, you know, your people will judge your candidate by what you say. And um, I think at this point in my life, I mean, I, I know, I don't know, I don't know how I, how I feel on, on everything. I mean, but, but um, so I've given some thought to that. Um, um, statewide, I mean, I'm, I don't even know if I'm going to probably vote in this, um, in this next election, probably. I don't, I've known Henry McMaster for a long, long time. I can't say I would vote for Henry, but then again, um, you know, Joe, when you come out and you call for term limits and you attack Jim Clyburn, that's not very smart. <laughs> you know, you think, you think by calling for term limits you're gonna get conservative white voters. Well, it would seem to me that um, those same voters would need to know to have term limits, they'd have to have a constitutional amendment or change the Constitution. And what would that take, what, two-thirds of the, of the Congress and then a, the state conventions and, and, and a constitutional convention, you know, you just, mm -hmm. just bullshitting people. If, you step, if, that's, if that's what you're running on, because you don't have the wherewithal to get that done. There's no appetite in the country to get that done. If there's a fight over Roe, I mean, we'll see how that works out. Um, and the court, you know, I, I, um, I mean, my problem with, with, um, the new Republican party is, I mean, do we really want an autocratic the, uh, the, uh, theocracy? And that's what, what worries me because I believe in separation of church and state. Um, I believe in the second amendment and, um, 
You know, I, I don't think the Second Amendment is about hunting. The Second Amendment is about the right to overthrow a tyrannical government. No one wants to talk about the Second Amendment like that. Now, that doesn't mean that I think some young kid ought to go out and buy an AR-15. Um, but that's a larger discussion. I mean, you want to raise the age. And some folk have mentioned, um, you know, what about kids that join the Army? I mean, should we raise the age of people that join the Army? When are we going to raise the age of voting? Let, you know, that's, a, that's not... It's, it's not as simple as, let's ban these guns. Well, let's not sell them to this age group. And which is the problem with you asking about getting in politics. There are not thoughtful people in politics anymore. I mean, that's why I kind of like you. You, you. You're being thoughtful, and that, that's important to me. Um, that you're not just, it's not just a, a party position. And the good thing about the, 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 um, this, the, the city government is, uh, or city politics is nonpartisan. That's a good thing. It's local. Yeah. It's about the people. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I um, if someone came along that I really thought, would, 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 you know, I was, in, I guess I could use the word inspired by or had confidence in, I just haven't seen that politician. I mean, I, there are people I like. I like Jim. I didn't start out liking Jim Clyburn. I mean, Jim, Jim was kind of like an establishment politician when I was coming up. And and I knew there was animosity at that period of history between him and Jesse. I didn't think, when I first started working with, when I first met Jesse, or heard of Jesse, I didn't necessarily like him. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe in charismatic leadership like that, or messianic leadership that you just follow that one guy. You know, it's like, politics is give and take. And, um, you know, the, I like the Jackson campaign because it brought together a diverse group of people and we wrote that platform and rewrote those speeches. And uh, now he, he delivered them. And, um, but that was the, 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 the wonder of his campaign, far different than the Clinton campaign, far different from the Obama campaign. Um, the Jackson campaign changed the structure of politics in, in this state um, as to who was working polls and who was participating. Um, you don't see that kind of um, grassroots effort by politicians where they actually go to neighborhoods and do good old-fashioned retail politics that they know who's in a precinct or they know who's in a neighborhood. They know people. You know, that's, you know I tell people that was the difference between Jesse and Obama, which is why I, I never voted for Obama. People are surprised. I voted third party both times. But then again, you know, I live in South Carolina. It's going to go red. I voted for Ralph Nader. I, I vote contrary. Um, but because nobody's taking the effort to educate people on the politics, to have sensible conversations. That's why people are at these extreme polls. You know, you got the left that's anti-free speech, used to be anti-government, but now they're all in with government. And, it's, it's, and then you got the right, you know, you, you want to make Christianity as the national religion, like, like that's going to work in this country? And even when you talk about expanding democracy, democracy isn't two parties. Democracy is a is a multi-party system to me. So you talk about a candidate, and uh, you know I I don't. I'd love to see a third party or fourth or party. Fourth party. The last lawsuit I filed um, in the state was to restrict the state legislature, Democrats and Republicans, from setting the the limits on what third parties can do when when they have their nominating conventions. So um, I like to see something else. I I actually like what happened in Britain. You know, people lose faith in the prime minister, and he's out of there. Coalition government, the same as in Israel. That's expansion of democracy. It can't go on just being 
A and B, Republican and Democrat, and that's where you draw the line. And, and, and if you're a Democrat, you have to accept all the craziness of, of the extremes of the party and the same way as with the Republicans. It's, it, nobody's having sensible conversations. Um, so, you know, I, I, um, I don't see anybody, you know, who, you tell me who's the rising star in South Carolina or in the nation. Um, I know looking nationally, if I looked at national politics, I, I, I think Biden's in trouble, um, but I don't think Harris would get elected. Um, I don't think Trump's going to get elected. I think DeSantos is probably going to end up being a nominee. It looks like it from at this point. Yeah, well, I keep hearing rumors on the street that there may be Francis Suarez in that game. Well. And that would be an interesting twist. See, I don't understand. I mean, I'm going to watch the hearings tonight. And, um, and, that, and that's, and I, I wake up every morning in the morning, Joe. I at least watch the first half hour. Um, but I, I don't, our fidelity is to the Constitution. It's not to a candidate. I wish people would understand. That's the only document, that's the only thing that everybody has in common in this country except the post office. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, and people it's don't even, yeah, they don't Can even I know. put that on a T-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'll cut you in on the roll. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's, the, you, that's I mean, do you, I know that they say that UPS and FedEx can do it better, but I don't know these days, and you know, if you order something on by FedEx, and if you order it next day, you're not going to get it next day. I, and they're going to take your chance. money. I bet we got a better chance of getting Amazon delivered quicker than yeah. I do. Well, FedEx. But, yeah, but but the, you know you like seeing that that red, white, and blue truck pull in the neighborhood. But but back on the Constitution. I mean, I I was in the I was in the army. I went spent a little. I went went in the reserves. I did maybe I did a year, a little less than a year active because I went in the seventies. All my brothers were in the army, and they were in the Vietnam era, and uh, stayed in till ninety two, and um, we all make that same oath. To, 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 protect and defend the Constitution. So on some of this stuff, even with what happened at the Capitol, you know, although back in the day, you know, because I, 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 I used to say I like chaos theory, you know, just let it all go to hell and let's rebuild from there. I don't know. If, I mean, the older I get, it's more evolution than revolution. So that's... that's, so, that's there's that's, another T-shirt. Yeah, so that's that's where I'm at at 65 years old with two great grandkids. See, Kevin, I have something else in common, not just the post office and the Constitution. We're both members of the AARP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They got they got they got to get there. They they got to get there. I had to do that. What is Medicare, Medicaid thing this year? I didn't file for my Social Security. I'm gonna wait. Although, I, mean, I hate to just be like Donnie Downer, you know, the average life expectancy of a black guy is 67 years old. I think you white guys live 69, two years late. So it's like, do I take this Social Security? Because I might, if I, if I don't make it to 67, then I'll just, just give up my money. Somebody told me the magic number really is to get to 52. Because between 42 and 52 is the widow maker. Era. That's when you start losing your friends and other things from, and if you can get over that, you got a good shot to make it longer. I I was talking to the frat brothers last night, and they were saying, uh, "Well, they're going to do the step show on Saturday, on Friday. You want to go?" 
I said, as long as I don't have to step, and I said, I hope none of y'all steps, unless y'all got synchronized hover around. What, what's that little car you drive? <laughs> hover around, y'all, synchronized hover arounds and, and, and walkers. All my friends are getting old and sick and leaving the planet. So it's kind of scary. It is and, scary. And I think I wanted, my, my great-grandmother lived to be 104, and my grandmother lived to be 92. Now, my dad died young, had a heart attack at 57. Um, retired from the Navy, Retired from Firestone Steel in Spartanburg 20 years and had a heart attack two weeks after he retired. Because he retired. Mike Bloomberg spoke to us the other day. Yeah, he's 80 years old. And he goes, all these people talking about retirement, he said, don't do it. All my friends who retired are dead. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think I got a, I signed a book contract with Verso Books maybe about five, well, it's been more than five years, it's been a while, and they stay on me. And I started writing this book. Uh, to do a history of progressive politics from Fannie Lou Hamer to Barack Obama that I'm committed to finishing. And um, I started on this PhD maybe 25 years ago. My, uh, actually, Bill Nettles knows my department chair very well. And they came down, he brought Greg down to the restaurant. And of course, Greg came down. He does the, uh, the um, Julian Bond Oral History Project mm -hmm. at American University. And I promised Greg, all, I'm ABD, as they say, all but dissertation for the last 25 years. But see, when I went to D.C., it wasn't, it wasn't to get a Ph.D. I was just kind of up there working with Reverend. I was just kind of moving around. And someone said, why don't you come to school over here? And it, it wasn't, it's like the restaurant. It wasn't, it wasn't anything I had planned. It just happened. It just happened. And I, so I just, and I started commuting. When I came back to South Carolina, I just started commuting back and forth to D.C. So those are the two things I think I want to finish more than get involved in a campaign. So y'all heard it, folks. In the next two years, we're going to have to address you as Dr. Gray. Maybe. I hope. I put, my, mother keeps, my mother is 87, and uh, she keeps bugging me about it. I need to finish. Now, my mother, my mother's Canadian. She's never had her American citizenship. She goes to get that card every 10 years. The last time she went, the guy said, Miss Gray, you've been in America so long. Why don't you become a citizen? And she said, well, my grandmother lived to be 104 and my mother lived to be 92. So maybe, and I plan to break the record. So maybe in another 10 years, maybe I'll become an American citizen. The guy said, well, I might not be here. She said, well, then you'll miss it. So <laughs> I like I, my mother. I, before, before we leave, I have to, have to build on something. So. Um, Richland Memorial Hospital came to us and was talking to us about doing this blue zone and they're studying how we can improve and have longer longevity as Colombians, how we can get healthier. And I went to a birthday party at Pruitt Health, which is next to the old Providence Hospital. The woman was 105. The lady sitting next to her was 100. The three ladies sitting next to her were 99, and the two other ladies in the room were 95. And I'm like, these people traveled to Japan and Sardinia and every here. They should have just come over here on Forest Drive, and mm -hmm. I could introduce them to the Blue Zone. All chatty, fully, I mean, it was unbelievable. Now, my daughter-in-law used to be head of nursing over there. Oh, really? Yep. She's still with Pruitt. She's, uh, she's traveling around now. She's out of, she's, I think she's working out of Charlotte now, but my daughter-in-law was head of nursing. It's a small world. It is a small world. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. This was a great opportunity to, to hear from Kevin. We bounced all over the place from 
Reverend Jackson to Railroad Barbecue, but I do employ with you. If you haven't been to Railroad Barbecue, Wednesday through Sunday, put a smile on your face when you leave. Best on barbecue on both sides of the track. And as Kevin said, but uh, I do recommend the hash as well, the hash and rice. I don't think you've ever tasted anything like it in Columbia, South Carolina. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Oh,